All right. Well, good morning, Docs of Church. I want to invite you to go ahead and grab your Bibles. Find your way to 1 John chapter 5. If you're new, welcome again. It's great to have you part of Docs today. My name is Rob. If we haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I'm one of the pastors here. But uh, you're joining us a morning where we're wrapping up a 13-week study through this letter of 1 John. And, you know, over the last several weeks as we've been going through this, you know, it's been a very helpful, a very practical, and really just a, a worshipful yet challenging book to kind of go through and hear from God to kind of evaluate, man, what do our lives look like as Christians? John is this old guy who's come and he's talking to these people to, to help them know certain things, to help them know the love of God, but also to talk to them about, hey, here's what it looks like to really follow Jesus. And so we're going to wrap this letter up today, but then we're going to spend the next four weeks, okay? For those of you who are really type A and you're having anxiety about what are we going to do next week, okay? I'm going to tell you what we're going to do for the next several months, okay? So next week we're going to start like a a four-week study where we're going to be looking through some of the attributes of God. That if you open up the scriptures, you kind of see that God is a lot of different things. That God is holy and he is just, he's kind, he's merciful, he's patient, he's able, he's love. We're going to look at some of these attributes with the goal of helping us to understand like the identity and the activity of our great God so that we can know him for who he is and not who we project him to be, which will well up in us in worship, wonder, awe, and praise when we actually see God for all that he is. And then after we get through that, we're going to spend the fall going through all the way up until Christmas studying the, the great Old Testament book of Daniel. All right, and I'm, I'm really excited about this study as Daniel, to, to my estimation, is one of the godliest guys in the Bible. And so we're going to go through this because there is so much that we're going to learn about ourselves, about God, and really even the world that we live in as we walk through this book. And so here's my encouragement for you, okay? In the weeks to come, start reading through the book of Daniel. And as you begin to do this, start observing the life of Daniel, Start observing the the focus of Daniel, the faithfulness of God, and as you get to chapter seven, fair warning, it's gonna get a little bit weird, okay? So you go through the first several chapters of Daniel and you're like, oh, I get this, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the lion's down, I know all this stuff, and then all of a sudden chapter seven happens and the book goes from like a narrative to like a very prophetic in nature. So go ahead and write down a ton of questions and we'll answer a few of them, but it's gonna be a fun time to go through this, okay? So if you don't have a Bible and you wanna start reading along with us as we gather like this, you can stop at Info Corner at the end of the coffee bar, grab a Bible for yourself or a couple for your family and, and start reading through Daniel as we get into this. But let's wrap up 1 John today, okay? Chapter 5, we're, we're looking at John's concluding thoughts in these last nine verses. And really, just by, by way of introduction, let me just ask you this, okay? How many of you, you've, you've been alive on this earth long enough that you've realized that there are very little things, very few things that are, that are certain, that are a guarantee, that are sure and dependent on in this life? Right, I mean, even in the last several years, if we just just look at the last two years, we are keenly aware that there are so many uncertainties, there are so many unknowns in life that just happen. The world just abruptly shuts down. Jobs vanish, physical health just kind of plummets out of nowhere, relationships kind of come and go, money is there one day, it's gone the next, tragedy hits out of nowhere, Without warning, natural disasters just pop up and take everything. Life turns to death just out of the blue. Like the reality is, 
Uncertainty is a very real part of life in our world. We all live in this. You know, it was Benjamin Franklin, he said the only thing that's certain is life is taxes and death, right? And sometimes you're like, that seems to ring true, right? I pay taxes and I'm gonna die, amen, right? But guys, there are so many uncertainties, so many unknowns in life, and it can lead to so many different things for us. For some of us, we don't even like this topic because you start to think about it, and it leads to anxiety and fear. Some of you start to think about like the uncertainties in life, and it leads to doubts and depression. For others of you, like you, you try and grab life by the horns, and it leads to control issues and workaholism because you're thinking like, if I can't have certainty, I'm gonna work hard enough, and you chase this thing called control, which is absolutely just a complete illusion. But I mention this because as we have been studying this letter, John has been writing to people who were just navigating life with all its uncertainties, just like all of us. That there was a lot of confusion going on, a lot of questions, a lot of uncertainty around their present life and their future life, and it was bringing about all kinds of things in these people. And John just comes to these people that he loves. He's an old man at this point. He's been walking with Jesus for many years. He's probably 80, 90 years old. And Grandpa John just comes to these Christians and he says, hey, I have some good news for you. And it's all about my best friend Jesus who I walked with, I talked with, and that will bring you hope in the midst of so many uncertainties in life. And so what he says is basically this, guys. In the midst of an ever-changing, uncertain world, we have a never-changing, certain God. And this is a truth that should well up joy in every single one of us, that when we know God, we have certain things to grab hold on, grab hold of in our uncertain lives, and this will bring joy, stability, comfort, peace, help, and hope. And John says, if you've picked this up over the last several weeks that we've been going through this, he says there are certain things that you absolutely need to know, right? And this, this word know, he uses it some 39 times in these five chapters, and here in these last nine verses, he actually uses this word seven times. And so as John closes up here, Here's what he wants us to know. Doxa, life is uncertain, but if you know God, certain things are in fact certain. And as he wraps it up, he shows us these certainties that come with knowing God. Look at verse 13. Here's what John says. I write these things to you. So he's referencing what he just got done writing in the first part of chapter five, but really the, the whole letter. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Okay, so the first thing that John says is certain is this, is that we can have certainty of our eternal life. That there is great comfort, there is great security, there is great assurance. He says you can, have, you can have certainty in your eternal life. And so here's what you need to know about life. Doc, so the question, the ultimate question, when we consider life is not the duration, but the destination. And I really need you to understand this, because the truth is we are all eternal beings. That yes, our bodies will eventually all physically die. This is gonna happen, but our souls will go on forever. And you need to know this about yourself because this changes everything about our perspective in life. See, many people, if you just kind of view life as just like this big line, right, that just keeps going on for eternity, so many people, they just focus on the, the few 80 years that we have, and we, we narrow in on this little part of this line and we forget everything else. And we live our lives as though this is the only thing that actually matters, this little thing right here. But eternity is a really long time. 
And when we actually understand that we are eternal beings, the short part of life, it kind of like changes our perspective a little bit. The things that we fixate on, the things that we worry about, the things that we try and build our life on, somehow just kind of shifts in priority. But I want you to know that this part of life, this little part of life, how we live our lives here and now, actually impacts our eternal life. Everything. And so when we think about the duration of life, it's not just the 80 years that we have here and now, but it's eternity after the here and now. And this is why thinking about destination is so important. And in a very real sense, guys, the entire letter of 1 John has been pointing to this verse. This is kind of like the thesis statement of the entire book of 1 John. And the truth that we need to know is that the destination of all people in this world, because of the reality of sin, is either eternal glorification with God or eternal damnation separated from God. This is the truth of the reality in the world that we live in. And when John talks about eternal life here, he's talking about life with God, forever in glory and perfection. And I want you to know that God, with his Father's heart of love, he wants to be with you forever. He really does. And some of you, I know you have a really poor view of yourself. You don't even like yourself. God loves you. He created you, he wants to be with you forever. And throughout this letter, John has made it clear that sin is a very real problem and it's a very real in all of us and there are very real implications for our sin and our eternal life with God. And this is why we love Jesus so much here, amen? I mean, Jesus is such good news. This is what the gospel is that this church is all about. This is what our songs are all about when we sing about Jesus. This is why we get so excited about Jesus. Because this is what life is all about, that the sin that separates us from God is a very real thing, and we're marching towards eternal separation, but Jesus, who is God become a man, he rewrote the script. And when we come to Jesus in faith, he takes our sin, he gives us forgiveness, and brings us to God. And I want you to know, someone in here, you you need to know this, that it's only Jesus It's only Jesus that anyone can escape the effects of sin. And so the question that I would ask you, and I think the question that this text demands us to really ask ourselves, is do you believe in Jesus? Because if you look back, I mean, John says, okay, eternal life is a thing, but look back. He says eternal life with God is all about faith in Jesus. And so this is the most important question that any of us will ever answer. Do you believe in Jesus? Is he your God? Is he your savior? Do you know him? Do you love him? Have you put your faith in him? Do you belong to him? And John says, if you do, you have eternal life in glory with God ahead of you. And there is reason to sing. But if not, you will still have eternal life in front of you, but it will be apart from God, apart from any of his goodness, just the complete absence of God, which is just the terrible reality of hell. And it all comes down to Jesus. Because when you open the Bible, it literally is all about Jesus. Every single book, every single story, every single page of your Bible points us to Jesus. He's the hero. He's the one that we are all created for and the one that we all need. 
And you need to know, guys, if you're newer to Christianity and you're newer to the Bible, that Jesus is God and he loves you. He absolutely loves you. And so if you're here and the thing that has brought you here that brings you to church or has you considering spiritual things is this idea of eternal life, you need to know that you need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He has God become a man who lived the life that you couldn't live, the perfect life, who died the death that you should have died as the penalty for your sin, and who rose to conquer our great enemies of sin, Satan, death, and hell to bring us to God, to reconcile our relationship with God, to have eternal life like John is talking about here. And this all begins the moment that you meet Jesus. And it begins in this moment and it continues on forever. And John says it is absolutely certain because Jesus said so. And here's why this is so important, okay? I know that there's people in this room right now that when you think about death, it terrifies you. And some of you have so much uncertainty about what happens next. Do I just cease to exist? Like, have I done enough? Like, what is going on? Like, what is gonna happen next? Here's what I'll tell you. Again, God loves you. This is what John has been saying throughout this letter, and he's trying to help you. And through his words to us in the Bible, through 1 John, through Jesus, he's telling us the truth, and he says, because you, you have a right to question this because the world is broken and sin is very real. But you, have, you, you can have a reason to question and have some fear, but you don't have to live there because Jesus' love and his sacrifice and his life, his death, his resurrection, it literally turns fear into joy. This is why it's good news. Some of you are afraid. I also know that there's some people in here who you've put your faith in Jesus, but you question, like, did it really work? Maybe you ask, like, did I, did I do it right? Did I find the right, like, Wikipedia page that led me to a prayer? Like, did I do it right? Have I messed up? Like, do I say the right things? Am I living the right way? Like, how do I really know that I have eternal life? You know, I talked to the guy just a few weeks ago, and as we were talking, he was like, man, I, I really am a Christian. I, I really believe in Jesus, but I don't really know where I stand with God because I'm not really a good Christian. And as we, as we talked, he was, he was just talking about, you know, like, I believe, but like, I've, I miss church a whole lot. I don't read my Bible anymore. Like, I've been living like a crazy life over this last couple years. Like, I'm, I'm living in sin. And as we talked, he was questioning whether or not he has what John is talking about here, this, this idea of eternal life with God. And this idea of life after death was really causing him just a lot of anxiety. It was super sad to sit there because he was crippled by it. His joy was just gone. Maybe you've been there, questioning eternal life. But what do, you, what do you do in those moments? Like when we get there, and you're questioning kind of like your, your relationship with God, your eternal life, like what do you do in those moments? Do you just pray the sinner's prayer again? Right, do you just hightail at the Princeton Club and jump in the, the pool to like baptize yourself again? Right, like what do you, what do, you do? Because here's the answer. It's what John says in these moments. We look to Jesus and we keep believing his gospel. Because no matter how you feel in a given moment, how encouraged or discouraged you feel about your spiritual progress, how hot or cold like your, your love for Jesus is in the moment, we need to always rest in the truth and the love of Jesus and his gospel. We never grow past the gospel. It's always about the gospel. It's not the starting line that we start at, it's the track that we run to.
run on and it's the finish line that we aspire to. It's always the gospel. And I want you to know, Doxa, your certainty in eternal life is not about you. It's really not about you, it's all about Jesus. Because if it was about any of us, we're fickle, we're sinful, and it'd be up in the air. And it would not pan out well for any single one of us because we're all broken. It's always Jesus. And your relationship with God is not predicated on your performance, it's predicated on his character. And John has already told us through this letter that God is love. And out of that love, he sent Jesus. And so if you've come to Jesus in faith, John says you can know for certain that you are his, that he is yours, and you have eternal life forever. This is the great doctrine of assurance, and it leads to just a life of just explosive joy and freedom. But let me also say this, okay? I want you to know, guys, that this eternal life with God, it doesn't just start when you die, okay? But it starts the moment that you come to Jesus in faith. And so some of us, we, we think, man, like, okay, I got this eternal life thing. I, put, I said yes to Jesus, and so I'm just gonna suffer through life and just kind of go through life on my own and get kicked in the face a few times, and I'm gonna invest in a cup because life just is really hard, right? And then we're just gonna keep going. And then eventually I'm gonna die and everything will be perfect. I want you to know, guys, there's some truth to that, but that is a very malnourished view of life with God. Because eternal life with God starts the minute that you say yes with Jesus. And God just comes, and Jesus, he doesn't just take your sin and leave you on your own, but he gives you himself and the person and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to help you walk through life. That you're never alone that there is always access to help and hope and love and peace because the Spirit of God is with you, living for you. He's with us. Paul talks about this idea that it's not just like in Ephesians chapter one, like we're not just sealed for the day of redemption. Yes, we are, but he has given us the Spirit and the same Spirit, Paul says in Romans chapter eight, that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in us and that is a spirit of power. And he allows us and empowers us to live how we can't live on our own. Because and this just brings great joy to me right now. That every day, all day, I can experience the goodness of God living in me and I'm never alone. I'm never without help. I'm never without access to God. I'm never without love. God is with me. And what that means for me personally is, guys, everything could be going wrong out there. It could be total chaos out there. But in here, I'm all right. Because the God of peace is with me. Amen? The Spirit of God in us, given to us by Jesus, is a great blessing. And so John says, this is eternal life, and if you've come to Jesus, this is certain for you. There's no fear, there's no you being alone, there's no questions, there's no doubts, it's just joy. Now John goes on to say that with that certainty of eternal life that Jesus gives us comes another great certainty in life. Look at verse 14. And this is the confidence. I want you to circle that in your Bible. This is the confidence that we have towards him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. And so John is is talking to us about prayer here. All right? Verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those whom commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Okay, so John says a lot here, but here's what he's getting at. We have certainty 
that God answers prayer. I love the way that John talks about prayer here. In verse 14, he says that we have confidence towards God. I mean, how many of you, when you pray, like you lack confidence? I mean, so many people, if we're, if we're just honest and just having like a Bible study small group, we would probably, a lot of us would be like, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really know. Like when I pick up the phone and dial up God, like I don't know, is he gonna answer? Like, I, there, is he busy? Like there's a few billion people on the planet. Like someone's gotta be in line before me. Like I don't even know if God likes me right now. Like, and you wonder, like what is, what is this idea of prayer? Does God even wanna meet with me? Does God hear me? And you lack confidence in prayer. And if that's you, let me just help you with this this morning, okay? Because when it comes to God and our prayers, it's like this, right? There are many times that my phone rings and I don't answer it. Some of you are like, I know, I know, right? Amen, Amen. oh my gosh. But there are many times that my phone in fact rings and I don't answer it. But I'll tell you this, there's never a time that one of my children walk up to me to talk to me and I don't respond to them. Because my kids are a priority. If you're one of God's children through faith in Jesus, you are in fact a priority. God loves you. He sees you, he hears you, he cares for you. The Father's ears are always open and you're never a burden because your dad loves you. I mean, understand this, Christian, as it relates to prayer. God is not a busy CEO, okay? He's a father and he invites us to talk to him and he invites us to ask him for things. And I'm gonna keep hitting on the fatherhood of God as long as I'm around here at Doxa Church because this changes everything. When we understand that God is Father, it changes everything about our perspective on life and how we relate to him. And John says, as children of God, born of Jesus, we can have confidence and certainty that God hears from us and he actually answers our prayers. And when we talk about prayer, like we've, we've talked about this a lot over the last several years, but prayer is primarily about communication and communion. It's communication, we're talking to God, but it's also communion, we're, we're enjoying his presence, we're in his presence. And so when we pray, we're really just practicing the presence of God and reminding ourselves that he's with us and he's for us and he hears us and this is absolutely certain. And so if you're here and you struggle with prayer, here's what I'll tell you. Like, don't try and fix it by learning bigger words, bigger Christian words. Don't try and fix it by like religion Don't try and fix it by memorizing prayers from dead white guys from the past. Think Father. Think Father. And just like a kid who just runs up to their parents, no matter what, I mean parents, you know this, right? You have kids and you're like doing something, right? You're fixing something, you're you're really busy and your kid's just like, I need a blow pop. And you're like, okay, right? We can have that type of confidence. A kid just goes to their parents all the time with whatever they want. We can have that confidence with God. Now, when we've talked about prayer in the past, like I've I've said this and I'm gonna say it again because chances are we just need to remember this, but you need to know that God actually does hear and answer every prayer. And I know that some of you, you could be thinking like, I don't know if that's actually true because there's certain things that I've prayed for a lot and it didn't happen, and so what you're saying can't actually be true. But hear me on this, God actually hears and answers every prayer. 
He either says yes, no, or later. Those are the three answers to every prayer. And again, parents, we're, John's talking about, about the father, right? So parents, think about your kids, right? Bedtime, my kids do this all the time. Hey dad, can I have a hug and a drink of water? Yeah, bud, absolutely. Hey dad, can I have a, a pixie stick? No, no, unless this thing is like crushed up melatonin, no, right? Absolutely not, but I love you, but no. Hey dad, can we wrestle right now? Buddy, later, I love you, go to sleep. God answers every one of our prayers. But I want you to look back at verse 14. John talks about praying in God's will. And guys, this is big, because John says that if we pray according to God's will, the answer will always be yes. And this is what Jesus taught John, and John is now teaching us. But listen to a few of the times that Jesus taught about this. In, in John 14, 14, Jesus said, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. John 15, 16, if you, uh, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And if you remember how Jesus taught his disciples to pray in, in Matthew chapter six, Jesus says, here's how you pray. Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So I want you to know this, guys. We, we don't pray to change God's will. We really just pray to discover God's will. That prayer isn't about just moving the hand of God to get what we want, but it's about molding our hearts to discover his will. And John is saying that we can have certainty that God hears us and wants to hear from us because he's a father and we're his kids, but we can also have certainty that he answers our prayer with a yes if it aligns with his will, which is actually better than our will and best for us. And doctor, when we understand this, we begin to learn that prayer is not trying to get what we want, but it's about what God wants for us, which is actually best. And again, parents, think about your kids. Think about a parent with a kid. Like kids will sometimes come to their parents and they'll have these requests that sound good to them in the moment. And the parent knows that this is not a good thing and they talk. And after a while of talking, the kid's like, man, I never really thought about that. I guess you're right, yeah, I, I, I don't actually want that. I want, I, I want this. This is what happens in prayer when we make requests to God and seek God's will. All right, I just had this with Titus not too long ago, right? My, my little six-year-old, six? Six, okay. Right, he came up to me, he's like, Dad, you know what I need? I need a blowtorch. I'm like, bro, really, you need a blowtorch? He's like, yeah, I need a blowtorch. And I'm like, buddy, I don't, I don't think, no, I need it, I can't, and then he starts his thing. And I'm like, hey, bro, let's talk about this. What are you gonna do with the blowtorch? Well, I'm gonna use it, okay? Hey, do you remember when we did the sparklers on the 4th of July? Yeah, do you remember how that burnt your hand and you cried and that hurt really bad? Yeah, blowtorches are way worse than that. Oh man, and blowtorches, they could burn down the house if you, if you don't use them right. My Pokemon cards? Yeah, buddy. And he, we started going and we're just talking, we're talking and he's like, you know what? I'm not ready for a blowtorch yet. Because this is like prayer. We talk to God and we discover his will, and as we talk to him, the Holy Spirit ministers to us, and our hearts are conformed to what is actually better for us. This is prayer. There's a man named William Barclay, he says it so well, saying this, prayer 
even more than talking to God, is listening to him. And so the big question is this, is how do we listen to God and know his will? All right, and here's what I'll tell you, three ways that we seek, that we can seek to know God's will and to hear from him. Number one, guys, it's, it's scripture. This is why we seek to be a Bible-saturated church. God has given us his words and his ways. And we sit and we, we open up the scriptures and we talk to him and we hear from him. That when we open up, we're literally hearing from God. And so sometimes you'll, you'll go to God in prayer. It's already in his word. Like, so you don't need to pray about certain things, right? And it's like, okay, well, should I marry this non-Christian guy? God's already spoken. That's not gonna be good for you. Don't do that. We go to the Bible and we see, does this, does this is that a line? Does, does my request a line? Has it already been answered in this book? And we don't seek to manipulate it and work our way around it, but we just submit ourselves in humility underneath the word of God. The second way is through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And so we go to the word and see what God says, but the truth is, you know, God's word doesn't answer every question that we might have about our specific thing with life. You know, back to marriage. Should I, should I marry this girl named Lisa? And you're looking through the pages, it's like Lisa's name in there, I can't find it, maybe not, right? No. The Holy Spirit of God, he's a helper. He's the paraclete. He's a guide. He's a counselor. And he instructs us and convicts us. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter eight, that the Holy Spirit guides us in prayer. And so sometimes we bring our requests to God and we bring our desires to God and as we're praying, we just get that sense of like, this is not right. Nope. And we go a different direction. So we have the scriptures, we have God himself indwelling us as the Holy Spirit. And a third is wise counsel. The book of Proverbs talks a lot about this. Wise counsel. Where there's wise counsel, there's victory, there's success. Right, and so when we talk about wise counsel, we're talking about people that, that love God and love me, and they love God's word. And we can go to them and we say, hey, here's what I'm thinking, like help me understand this as you understand from the Bible, and let's pray together, and, and let me just pick your brain about this. And wisdom comes years, and that's why I'm so thankful that there's so many older people coming around Doxa. Right, for those of you who are around the beginning, I was one of the oldest people, and it was like, is this gonna work? So. Praise the Lord for you older people. Don't go anywhere, come back, it'll be great, okay? But this is how Jonathan says we, we need to seek God's will. And he says when we pray in faith in the will of God, asking for things, he says the check is in the mail, that we already have it. It's ours. That the promises that God has for us, we can cling to that. We might not have it now, but we know he's gonna deliver on it, and so we just have to wait and be patient. Led by the Spirit to be patient and wait on the Lord. Now, one more thing about prayer that John talks about here. Look back to verse 16. He says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Okay, so here's what John is saying. Because we need to be praying for one another and helping one another. All right, and we call this type of prayer, prayer of intercession. And this is just another way that we love one another, which has been a big emphasis throughout this letter. And there are certainly times that we pray for our own needs, but the Bible says much more about our prayer as intercession for other people. 
And he singles out, John singles out a specific example of how we can pray for others. And he says that we should pray for Christians who get involved in sin. And as I was thinking about this this week, guys, I, I really think this is an area that, that a lot of Christians often fail in because when, when we see brothers and sisters falling into sin, it oftentimes turns to gossip rather than prayer. We start talking about them rather than talking to God for them. And John says, when we see this, okay, so you're seeing it, it's not just that you're hearing it, did you hear what Johnny did? Can you believe what you heard about Mary, right? You see your brother and sister doing it. You see that they're in sin, and then we pray for that person, that God would meet them and help them to repent and believe. And guys, I'll, I'll tell you this, this passage is one of those passages in the Bible Right, that it's super confusing. And we approach the Bible in humility always, especially in passages like this, because in this passage, we've actually lost the key. Right? That when you lose the key to your house or your car, you really can't get in. That's kind of what is happening here. Right? That when John says that there's sin that leads to death, this was something that was very common in that day where John, as he said this, the people were like, oh yeah, we know exactly what you're talking about. That's why he doesn't elaborate on it at all. But we, we, we don't know exactly what this sin that leads to death is. And so I'm not gonna make a big deal of this, but I'm gonna give you four best, of the best options that I can think of, right, and I've, that I've found. But I'll share these four things, but then I'm just gonna apply it regardless of what John is exactly talking about, okay? The option one of this sin that leads to death that John says, hey, don't pray for these people, is that this sin is, is some heinous sin such as murder. Right, and, and for me, like, this doesn't like, kind of seem right because there's, like, there's people who have murdered people whose God has forgiven. Right? You see the Apostle Paul, for example. But if you're, if you're coming up from like, a Catholic background, maybe this type of idea is, is common to you. Like you have the venial sins, like the really bad ones, and like these, or the, the venial sins, not the real bad ones, and these mortal sins, the really bad ones. Right? I don't think this is the option, but that is one option. All right, the second option is that this means like apostasy. And apostasy is really just someone who is genuinely, truly a Christian. They're walking with Jesus, but then it totally just rejects Jesus and abandons the faith. And again, this one, this one is hard, it could be true, but it's hard for me as I look at this because the whole point of this section is assurance in eternal life. And, and John even said at the beginning of this letter that there are people that walked away but they were never of us, that God doesn't lose Christians. And so it seems like it could be, but maybe not. The third option is that John is talking about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, right, which is just known as the unpardonable sin. And this is when people were around Jesus and they saw the, the works of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, and they attributed those miracles to the work of Satan. And so the unpardonable sin is just like an absolute rejection of Jesus. And this is the only sin that God cannot and will not forgive. And then the fourth option says that the sin that leads to death is really just a a sin committed by a Christian that leads to physical death. All right, so you think of places like Acts chapter five with Ananias and Sapphira. God takes some people out of the world because of their sin. You think about what was happening in the book of First Corinthians when we went through there. There were a bunch of people doing a bunch of weird, dishonorable stuff in communion and God just takes them out. So those are these main options, but here's what I'll tell you guys. The point is not for us to spend a lot of time figuring out what the sin that leads to death is. The point is us, for us is to spend time praying for people in sin. This is the point. And so whatever interpretation we take, the application is for us to pray for one another. And not cling to the idea that, okay, I don't know if I should pray for this person because maybe that's the sin that leads to death. No, it's, it's none of that. 
The thing that's absolutely clear from this is that if you love someone and you see them in sin, our hearts should be moved to love them and help them. And we can speak to them about this in love, but we can also speak to the Father for them. Because let me just say this, as we think about our lives, you know, we need to know that sin is the biggest problem in all of our lives. There's a theologian, philosopher, Cornelius Plantinga, that's a mouthful. He says of sin, he says, sin is a form of self-abuse. I want you just to think about that. Because when we sin, we're actually hurting ourselves. And you might not view it like that because sin in the moment oftentimes feels like it feels fun, it feels good, gratifying. But it's just hurting us. Because when we sin, we dishonor God, we can oftentimes hurt people, but in the end, we're actually hurting ourselves. And how many of you, you, you look at people, you know people, and you see their life in sin, and you see them just hurting themselves, and you're like, oh my God, it's such a sad place to be when you watch someone you love in sin, and you're like, you're just killing your soul. John says, in that moment, pray. Pray that God would meet them and change them and heal them and give them life. So John is saying we can pray in confidence, knowing that God hears us, he answers our prayers, and we need to be praying for one another, especially when we see each other in sin. Talk to God and ask him to bring restoration in life. All right, so I need to hurry up. The third thing that we have certainty in is this, is that we can have certainty of our victory over sin and hell. Verse 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. And we've talked about this over the last several weeks. John says like everybody has sin. And so if he says, if you say you don't have sin, that you're a liar, the truth is not in you. But then he says repeatedly like Christians don't sin. But what he's talking about is like there is transformation. We are gradually changing, that God is bringing about change in our life and we're not sinning as frequently because when he talks about this idea of sin, it's an overall lifestyle trajectory of sin. And so we all have sin in us, but by the grace of God, the power of God, the presence of God, we are changing. He says the one who is born of God, this is Jesus, protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Here's what John's saying, okay? Spoiler alert if you don't know your Bible and the story of it, but God wins. Amen? He absolutely wins. And John is saying that if you're with God through faith in Jesus, God's victory is actually your victory. This is what the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans 8, that we're more than conquerors through him who loves us and that no one will be able to separate us. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. And doctor, the truth is, you have an enemy that wants to take you straight to hell with him. And the evil one that John talks about here in verse 18 is Satan. And Satan will seek to lie to you, to confuse you, to lead you into sin, to tear you away from God. Peter talks about this in his letter, about Satan being a roaring lion, wandering around trying to devour people. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 6 that we, have, we live in the midst of a conflict, and it's not against flesh and blood and each other, but it's against the spiritual, the principalities of evil. And John says that this is a very real and serious thing, but take heart, because Jesus is king of kings, and he protects you. 
John is saying that, yes, Jesus is your redeemer, but he's also your ongoing protector, and this is the promise of certainty that should just give us confidence and joy that nothing can tear us away from Jesus. Your worst day, your worst sin will never tear you away from Jesus because he's yours. You're his. This is great news. When we come to Jesus, God gives us himself in the person of the Holy Spirit, and he empowers us, and he protects us. He protects us. It's the power of God through the Holy Spirit of God that changes us and gives us victory. And so if you've come to Jesus in faith, you need to know that God has changed you at the level of nature. And if you've come to Jesus, he's changed you in such a way that he has made you a child of God, not an enemy of God. And that identity change changes your lifestyle. And what this means, guys, is that no matter what sin is in your life, it's not more powerful than God. And God's power helps you to have victory over sin and to walk in freedom, the life that God has intended for you. And it's all because of Jesus. Sin doesn't have the last word, but Jesus does, and he says it's finished. And so to get really practical, no matter who you are and where you're at right now, maybe you have like hidden sin, you have like deep struggles, you have bad habits, I want you to know that the power of God is available to you. That Jesus is with you. And through the Holy Spirit, he can allow you to walk in victory over sin. And this is certain. You're not alone. I've experienced this in my life. Whether it's addiction to substances, just like crippling insecurities, anger, so many other things, the power of God has helped me and continues to help me to walk in freedom and victory over that. And I can't do that on my own. But this is what the good news of the gospel points us to, this type of power. And then the last thing is this, is because of Jesus, we have certainty in what is true. All right, verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. All right, here's what I want you to see. John says that Jesus is the true God. And we know this is true because as Jesus rose from the dead, he vindicated and validated all of his claims to be God. But I want you to know, do you know what it means that Jesus is the true God? Guys, this means that there are false gods. And I believe that every single person in this world has a functional God that directs their life. And a good way to really just figure out what this God is in your life that's directing your life and your life is revolving around is really just to ask yourself, like, what's the most important thing in my life? Like, what is it that I cannot live without? What is it that my life seems to revolve around? Where do I cling for, for like fulfillment and joy and security? What is it that just I cannot stop thinking about? Where does my time go? Where does my money go? Whatever that is, that is your functional God. And when John closes his letter by saying, keep yourselves from idols, this is what he's getting at. All right, an idol is, is not just like a wooden object that you would worship or anything like that, but a, it can be spiritual. An idol is really anything that you elevate above the one true God. And in our world today, it's much the same as in John's day. As he wrote this letter, so many idols, so many things that are fighting against the truth of God, so many arguments against Jesus, so many options of where to find eternal life and satisfaction and joy. And John is just saying, 
Little children, be careful. And this is why he ends with keep yourself from idols. Right, this is such a weird thing. He hasn't even talked about idols and all of a sudden he's like, yada, 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 keep yourself from idols. And it's almost like he's just like dropping the mic and walking away. Keep yourself from idols. I think John ends with this because he wants to get our attention. You save the last thing for the be the most memorable thing. John is saying there's actually only one truth claim that is certain and it's the one that's proved himself to be true. It's Jesus Christ. And this is what 1 John has been all about. It's about Jesus. John begins with Jesus. He talks about Jesus. He ends with Jesus. And he's saying, if you want to know what is certain and true in life, if you want to know the way of life, if you want eternal life, you need to look to Jesus. Don't look to other things that are not true, that sound good, that are gaining a lot of cultural traction. Look to the one who is true, Jesus. And so I'll end this series with asking you, like, who are you looking to for freedom and help right now? Who are you looking to for peace and security and identity? And how's that going for you? John would ask, do you know my friend Jesus? This is what life is all about. And so if you're here and you haven't come to Jesus and maybe you would even like hear about this eternal life and you would want this eternal life, you need to come to Jesus. And you just need to say to him, you are God, I am not. I have sinned, please take it. Give me your righteousness and empower me by your spirit to walk with you. And you can have this great gift of certainty that John has been trying to give us this whole journey through this letter. Come to Jesus today. And for those of you who are Christians, John ends with saying, keep yourself from idols. There's so many things in this world, guys, that are gonna fight for your attention and your affection. John says, you, God's got you, but you keep yourself from idols. Don't let your heart wander. Don't let your mind wander. That's why we say, get in the word. Remind yourself of the love of God. Let him speak to you. Get on your knees in prayer. Meet with God to discern his will. This is First John. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your love. God, I, I thank you for your word and for John and his words to us. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that we we would not be like the, the people that James talks about, that hear your word and then walk away and forget. But we would be people who would hear your word, who would dwell in it, who would wrestle with it. And we would do what it says because we know that you say when we are people who hear and do, it's then we will be blessed. Help us to be a church that's just marked with love for you and people, but also marked by just radical obedience of following your word. And so Holy Spirit, would you just speak to us now, remind us, convict us, help us.
Lord, we each need to hear right now in this moment. Give us a soft, humble heart to just receive from you. And let us worship. Because you are good. Jesus, you are worthy.